0: Well, this morning we are once again in John chapter one. We've got sixteen verses to read this morning and go over. We're looking at verse thirty five through fifty-one. Just as a quick reminder, as we are we are the church at Crossroads, Baptist Church, we are a representation of the body of Christ. And once in a while I think we need to be reminded that we have a vision statement here to see Christ's redemption, change all things, our hearts, our homes, our family. Our worship, our service, our community and the world, and our mission is to glorify God through the kingdom focused disciple building and outreach. We do we do these with a two part approach, fulfilling the great commission or the great commandment of loving one another and the great commission of going and telling. So as we gather today, you guys, I hope you understand that we gather because it's um the right thing to do. We don't come together because, um out of out of rules and regulations, we gather for the glory of God and the greatness of our community. Um by being a God-glorifying, gospel-centered, missional, disciple-making, church-planning church and people, we can make a difference in this world. I, I wanted—I wanted that. I want to say that this morning as an encouragement. God, I think, gave it to me this week as encouragement, just a reminder of what is the reason. So I just wanted to share that this morning with you guys. So brief summary of where we are: We are—we've um, just finished up talking about John the Baptist and his testimony in the wilderness. And how he has he has pointed out that Jesus is the Lamb of God and how he has um begun the 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 pointing and the path to the to people focusing on Jesus as the Lamb of God and no longer necessarily focusing on him as the one in the wilderness, the voice in the wilderness. Last week we talked about Jesus being the word and John being his voice before he was announced. Um so that's where we are. And but now it is time for Jesus to step out and begin building his kingdom to begin working on the kingdom of his father on earth it is time he's planting the first church he is he's is calling out disciples he is he is preparing um, himself to to bring people to jesus to to he's that sounds crazy doesn't it but he is preparing to bring people to himself i mean that's what he's doing to an understanding of who he is he is in the process of revel, re, of revelation of the father through himself to the world so that's where we are today when we come to this passage of scripture so John chapter 1 we'll start reading in verse 35 and we'll read through the end of the chapter and then we'll go back through and we'll really pick it apart and find some really cool stuff in here so now for our text John 1:35. the next day again John was standing with the two disciples and he looked at Jesus as they walked by and said behold the Lamb of God and two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, a city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses of the law, also the prophets, wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Father God, may you add your blessing to your word today. Let us solely comprehend the things that you want us to. Let us be able to block distraction and frustration today and focus on your word so that we can be drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Here, I'm going to say this at the end of the message too. I'm going to tell you this. this is the calling of the disciples. But this central theme of this passage is the fact that Jesus is here. His ministry has begun. That's our central theme. It, it, it's a story about these men being called by Jesus it's a story about these men following him and deciding to play follow the leader. Okay. We, we understand that, but really it is about Jesus. Now, you say, okay, no, duh, the whole Bible is about that. But there are some stories in our scripture that, that drive on other portions of, of the, the necessity to see, such as Noah, such as Jonah. But really, here is, we are looking at Jesus, we need to f- keep that focus. okay? So it's the context here that we're talking, like I said, is after John the Baptist has now testified of who Jesus is. He's in the wilderness. Remember locusts and honey and skins and hair, crazy, and um, that Bible TV series, that mini-series that came out about the Bible had him in dreadlocks, but he also had a British accent, so I'm not sure how that worked out, but the dreads were pretty cool. Some people like dreads, right? Um, but what we need to understand, and this is something we've kind of honed in on a lot on our Wednesday night Bible says is that... We are talking about ordinary people. Ordinary men living ordinary lives, going through the motions, who are called by Jesus. They respond to Him in faith. They are empowered by Him to do extraordinarily extraordinary things. And one of those things is what we are today, is in a building called a church, and being the church, they are the foundation. They didn't know everything about Jesus. As a matter of fact, they really knew very little about Jesus. They knew what the prophesied ideas were about Jesus. And they knew John was yelling, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But they didn't know a whole lot about Jesus. Now at this time, most theologians, it's not really important, but you know, I'm a geek and so I like, I'm a nerd and I like these little facts every once in a while. Most theologians forever have taught that um, Jesus was between 30 and 33 years old at this time. And anywhere between 33 and 36 when He was crucified. Um, but most historians who have really broken down the history of the numbers of the years say he's probably around 35 to 36 at this time. Not that that makes a big deal. But it's kind of fun. It doesn't really matter. But it just means when someone tells me I'm too young to be a pastor, I can say, well, Jesus was only 30 34 to 36. To and So I'm, I'm right there. I'm good. Um, <laughs> but... So this is Jesus. He's coming out. And he's ready to let everybody know what's going on. So let's let's piece by piece break down these verses. Um, some verses are pretty clear. There's not a whole lot to glean, um, but we will glean exactly what is here and we'll learn from them hopefully today. Verse 35 and 36 say the next day, John next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. I love that John, first off, is just out there preaching every day. He's just doing his thing every day, going out to Galilee, letting people know that Jesus is coming. And he he looked up, verse 36, and he looked up at Jesus as as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. I hope and my prayer is in this little section for us that when we read Scripture and we talk to Jesus in prayer, that this is our reaction. That it's never ho-hum. It's never, okay, I get this. I've been doing this for a long time. It's never, I understand this already. I hope that when we when we read God's Word and we find these stories and we, we feel Him interact in our lives and we lift up our voices to Him, I hope we are praying and seeing, Behold, the Lamb of God. and We are just in awe by that. And, and, and instead, the church, it, 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 we have become so inoculated by this truth that we're numb to it. And I don't want to be that way. I want to be John the Baptist who who was blown away when he saw the Spirit of God ascend on Jesus. Guys, we know that it happened. We know that it's there. That's where we need to be. We need to be blown away with how profound Jesus... Heck, we need to be blown away with how profound the idea of a church is. There's a whole lot of empty buildings around here that people could go into and call a church. There's a whole lot of things that people call church that have nothing to do with Christ. And what's crazy about that is Christ is the foundation of what we should refer to as church, everything else is is some type of other organization. It's amazing that we have something called the body that is the church. And it's solely because of the Lamb of God. Verse 37, The two disciples heard Him say this, and they followed Jesus. Wow. That's that's being devoted to a leader. I'm going to try it. You guys are following me, right? Hand me your wallets. See, so it didn't work, right? didn't work so well. It's not as important, is it? John is out here in the wilderness. He's got these followers, remember? He is being investigated by the Pharisees. He's, he's being bothered by these, these officials because of, like, who are you and what are you doing and, and we don't trust you. You've got people following you. What do, are what do you getting ready to do? And what's he saying? Well, I'm not Jesus. I'm simply the voice in the wilderness, okay? So, he's got these people following him. Who, who in here has ever been in a leadership position or had people follow you or a team captain on a, on a sports team or any of those things? Man, let's be honest. And maybe this is a man thing. I don't know, ladies. Um, if you guys struggle, but man, that, that feels good. I mean, that feels good. There's a pride thing that comes with that. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm leading this. I'm in charge here. These people are here for me. I mean, I wonder what it feels like to be one of these mega artists and walk out on a platform, on a stage, and there's 50,000 people there because of you. Now, John may not have 50,000 people, but he was still the big news of the day. So he's out there, and his disciples are out there. And it says that they immediately they followed Jesus based on what he said about Jesus. Now, what's here is amazing. Can I be transparent as a pastor? I know that I, I wrote a um I posted a blog about this, about truths, about being a pastor a few weeks back, and one of them in there is that it hurts pastors, and we're supposed to be immune, right? We're tough, right? We're just, oh, no, it's just church. No, it hurts when people leave the church, okay? It does. We're human, so it hurts. It bothers you. It's frustrating. It hurts your feelings a little bit. That goes for all pastors, unless they're just non-caring and just, you know, jerks, I guess, and there are those guys out there um, They just couldn't care one way or the other. But... It hurts you when it happens. It's the same thing as if you're in a leadership position or a team, like I said, on a team. If something were to go wrong and you were to lose something, it would would hurt. But no, John the Baptist, the hot ticket of the day, the man who's out here with all the attention, is more than happy to see two of his, probably, I mean, the fact that they are, that they're out there again with John, the fact that they are, um unknown by name probably means that they were pretty pretty close to him maybe even had a kind of maybe some kind of a, a position of organization or something that John was doing out there I don't know what he was really doing um, maybe they helped line up people for baptism who knows but he's so excited he's he's more than happy to see them follow Jesus because he knows what he's doing out there he knows who he's calling you know this is rare but it just shows the John the Baptist confidence in Jesus And like I said a few minutes ago, they didn't know all about Jesus. They just had simple faith. They knew what was taught to them by the prophets. They knew what the law taught. They knew what it pointed to. And they knew what they were looking for. And they took that faith and they stepped out and followed Jesus. And yet, I have the finished story. And sometimes I can't take one step of faith. Sometimes we struggle with worrying about which way to go and how to turn and what color to use. And I know I've told the story before, but I don't have a lot of stories. So, the, I had a friend of mine who was a pastor who put two different colored carpets in his church because people would not start fighting over it. That's not sound like following Jesus to me. How close is our? How how strong is our faith that we just simply follow? You know, I I have a friend who who I love dearly, and they they're not a believer, but they they know the Bible, um, a lot of the Bible, and they struggle with becoming a true believer because. They say, well, we just can't know enough. And he says this to me. And the problem is, he's he's uber smart. Like, I try to stump him on stuff. It makes me sick. Like, I get, like, obscure Christian authors that he's not going to ever hear of, at least I think. And I'll quote him, oh, that's out of so and sos I'm like, no, why do you know that? Like, so he's so smart. But he can't simplify the fact that, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He can't get there. I'm so grateful to these disciples. Maybe they were simpleton men. But they were still able to do that and follow, not knowing a whole lot. Verse 30 says, Jesus turned to them and saw them following. And unlike me, if I'm walking to the city and you start following me close, I'm probably going to run or turn around to fight. Um, But no, Jesus turns around and says, what are you seeking? And they say to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Rabbi also has another meaning. Which is really cool, I think. Um, it also means my great one, not a great one, not the. It's my great one. It's a very personal conversation. It's almost like calling your dad daddy or your mom mommy. Um, if you ever had a teacher that you loved dearly, I know our daughter had one, and her first grade teacher. I think was the first grade. No, her kindergarten teacher. Who so it was? And I think today, if Hannah saw Miss Chandler out somewhere, she'd you can probably chase her down and tackle her. Um But because she, she had this relationship where she loved her and she, she called her teacher and she called her Mr. Chandler, but it wasn't like another teacher that she had, which is just, just the name. It was it was some it was endearing, you could tell. That's what they're doing here. They are already endeared to Jesus. And so he says to them, What are you seeking? Which could also be said, Why are you following me? Why are you here today? What is your motive? Are you pursuing Christianity? Are you pursuing me as Christ? Or are you pursuing the next hot ticket? Are you pursuing me because he said to him, maybe you think it's going to be a big deal for you? Well, you know, that kind of is our question for ourselves, isn't it? What is it that we get out of this? What is it that we pursue Christ for? Why do we search for the church community? I hope it's not for prosperity's sake, because, man, that's going to kill our hopes. I hope it's not for comfort or convenience, because... Um, God, He bursts those bubbles real fast. He pushes us pretty far. And, and and if you're not being pushed by God in one direction, it might make you a little uncomfortable. You might want to check where you are in your relationship because we should be molded and pushed and made and twisted and and, and, and conformed constantly by Him. So there should always be a little a little push somewhere. You know, in, in big churches, oftentimes you see young, young men and women in there just simply to end their frustration with singleness or loneliness. And it becomes a dating scene, and that doesn't work. I don't think these guys are in it for that. Some people think it's a country club, and that'll never get us very far. That'll end up with two different colored carpets. So what are we seeking? He says to them, what are you seeking? And they call him Rabbi. They immediately admitted to him that they believed in who he was. They believed that he wasn't just this man from Nazareth that was John yelled about. Believed in the truth of who he was. So, what are we seeking? Are we seeking brownie points from God, or do we believe in his grace is sufficient no matter what and we've already got it? You know, one of the things that he might be asking here is do you believe I'm just another teacher, or do you believe that I'm the Lamb of God? You know, other religions really give Jesus some credit. If you don't know that, if you've never studied any outside religions, they give Jesus some credit. He's oftentimes called a great prophet. He's oftentimes referred to as a wonderful moralistic teacher. C.S. Lewis says it like this, though. If you don't know, who, I'm sure most of you guys know who C.S. Lewis is. *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*. Okay, lots and lots of books he's written. Um, that's probably what got real popular, at least recently, with the movies. I read it as a kid. Um, so C.S. Lewis was a was a professor at Cambridge University who was actually a I don't know if he ever claimed atheism, but he was an agnostic for sure. He, he said there's probably something, but who knows what it is. And um, he eventually came to know Christ, and he wrote that he wrote this saying right here. He says, I am trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not ever say. A man who is merely a man... Said the sort of things Jesus said would have not been a great moral teacher. He would have either been a lunatic on the level of a man who claimed to be a poached egg, or else he would have been the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. Later on in that book, he says, You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or, You can fall at his feet and call him the Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I couldn't say it that well. And it's kind of funny that he said somebody would claim to be a poached egg. But he says to these men, Why are you? You're following me. And they said, because we believe you are God. They didn't know yet. He never said it to them yet. And they believed. Are we here to know the Savior and to see the Father's glory? Are we here to learn more about who He is? Are we here to, to become better missionaries in our world? Are we here to become better at who we are? That's what He's asking them and that's what I'm asking you because that's what the Scripture is asking me. Why are we here? And not just here. Why are we claiming this religion, this Christianity for ourselves? Why? Verse thirty nine says he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and he stayed with them that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Okay, if you don't know that's about four PM because the days ran approximately at like six AM to six PM, that's how they told time. They'd have Time pieces on their on their wrists. So um, there's always approximates, but so about the tenth hour. But here's what I want you to see out of this verse. What Jesus says to them is a what's called a conditional imperative statement in literature. He says, Come and you will see. So really saying, if you come, you will see what I want you to see, or what I'm going to reveal. This statement isn't really about the place he's staying. This is kind of like the woman at the well where John, Jesus says, but who I give water will never thirst again. That's that same concept. Jesus using this to teach, it, to teach something different than, yeah, I'm staying over at Tony's house this weekend. <laughs> Y'all can come see. He's got a cool futon, right? Um, no, he's saying, if you come, if you follow me, you're going to see what I have planned to reveal. And he tells us later in the chap in this pa- chapter, we'll get to what it is exactly. If you come, guys, if we come if we chase desperately after knowing who the Father is, if we chase desperately after meeting the Son at the place that He wants to meet us, if we chase desperately after the Holy Spirit's dwelling in our lives and the hold that it has on us, He will reveal Himself to us in ways we could never believe, and He will do amazing things to us and through us. That's what He's promising them there. Verse 40 says, One of the two of them heard John speaking and followed Jesus. This was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he, Andrew... First, found his own brother Simon, Peter, and said to him, "We have found the Messiah," which means the Christ. John's very good at this, by the way. Throughout the whole book, you guys will we will see him using Hebrew words and translating them. Andrew went and told Peter about Jesus. Verse 42. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, "You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas," which means Peter. A couple little things here I see in these three verses. First off, we'll get to forty-one later, but forty-two. I'm so encouraged that Simon walks up to Jesus and he says, "Oh, you're Simon, son of John. If I when, I, when we met, I shook your hand and introduced myself, and you introduced yourself. Not Jesus. Why? The Bible says he knows when a sparrow falls. He knows the hairs on our head." He knows us greater than anything else. He knows us. He knows the, pe- the pains of our heart. He knows the pain. He knows the hurt, the fear, the frustration. He knows our irritations. He knows, he knows here when He says, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter in the Greek, which really is the word Petros, which is the word rock in English. You will be my rock. He knows Peter's going to deny Him. He knows Peter's going to act like a fool and say stupid things. But He knows Him. And for a rabbi back in the day, those days to give, well, heck, if you've played on a sports team or thing and your coach gives you a nickname, it's a great feeling. <laughs> I mean, it's just a cool thing. I'm, I'm, I don't know those, those old basketball videos. I don't even know if they're still around, but there was a tour called And One for a long time, and the guys never had a real names. You didn't know who they were. One guy was a professor, and one guy was the helicopter, and one guy was a, so i mean, they had these cool nicknames. That's basically what Jesus has given Simon. He didn't change his name. He gave him a nickname. But in Hebrew tradition, if that happened and you believed in your leader, you you became that name. Like you didn't go by your other name ever again. It was so important. In the very moment that Jesus called him out, this is what he said. He said, don't take this lightly. You are now Cephas. You are now Peter. You are now my rock. What's so amazing is the strength and the character and the courage that he had to be to be that early church, to be the Acts 2 leader that we see in the foundation of the day of Pentecost. What an amazing call, and what an amazing um, Jesus that we see. So when He looks out at you, and He knows your name, and He's got a plan for you and for me. That's a wonderful belief. By the way, though, what I also love about this is He may not come down and ever say, okay, you're no longer Brandon, you are, um, I don't know, I couldn't think of something funny just now. Um but he may never come down and say, you're not going to be branded anymore. I've got a new name for you. But he does give us a new name. Every one of us who claim to know Christ, he gives us a new name. He gives us the name little Christ or light like Christ. He gives us. He allows us to be called Christians. He allows us to identify with himself. Why? Because at this point, he allows us to be adopted, to become heirs of the kingdom of his father, to be bought in. So Peter's name was forever changed to uh, to Cephas, to Peter. That's what he would go through forever. But are we willing to always be considered and looked at as a child of the King? I know that we love to use the word "all God's children," like people love to say that. Man, it's so heartbreaking because guess what? It, it's not true. That breaks my heart to say that. Okay, but as a child of God, and I, if, can I identify with that? Should I? Should that be my identity every time I step out into the world? Guess what? From this point on, Simon was no longer Simon. When he walked out in the world and shook someone's hand, he was, I'm Cephas. And people were probably like, Why is your name Rock? Why is your name Rockhead, right? Why? You know. And yet, this is who he became. You know, when Debbie and I were getting married and we were planning our wedding, someone said to us, Are you guys going to do a unity candle? We're like, I want to do flip flops and t shirts. But, um, yes, we are. And, uh, So he says, okay, you're doing the unity candle. Remember, this is what he said to me. And he looked me dead in the face. And this is someone I looked up to um, until that day. He said, when you light that unity candle, make sure you don't blow out your candles. Because you still got to be individuals and sometimes you got to stand by yourself. I lost all respect that day for him. Now, I will say that I respect him a lot now. He's changed a lot. He's become, he claimed to be a believer then, I don't know, but he definitely is a different believer now. He definitely looks like Christ and acts like Christ. He's an amazing guy, and and I love him to death. But that day, I said, wait a minute. He, he's telling me not to, not to become one, not to unify in the way Christ says to do it. However, as a believer, someone who claims to know Christ, oftentimes I look in the mirror and I go, Today's a Brandon day. I want to be who I want to be. I want to do the things that I want to do. Man, I would just like to go out in the world and be that guy that I was 20 years ago. But I don't have that right anymore. Because I am a child of God. And that is always, always my identity now. We have the the ease, if my kids wanted to one day, of changing their name from Dean, right? We we know that they adopted so they could change their name. But until then, they're known as a Dean to everybody else. And at some point, if one of you know they change it, then they got to be a Dean forever. At some point, because they got to always put in alternate names, right? Yeah, ladies know about that. Guys, we don't because we get to keep our last name. (laughs) Um, I'm such a smart aleck sometimes, Um, but. They are they are Dean now. They are they are Anthony Dean. Always identified as that. Because he's adopted. Jesus doesn't have biological children. We're all adopted in. So take on his name and live in it. Let him give us a name change. Verse 43 says the next day, it's two days after the baptism. The next day Jesus decided, this is different. Guys, I want you to hear the difference between verse 35 when Jesus just came by and obviously it wasn't coincidental, but John called him out as the Lamb of God. This is different. Verse 43 is different. He decided to go back to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. This is the only disciple that this word is used with. He found Philip. Philip, if you're here Wednesday night, we talked about this for a minute because um, I didn't want y'all to preach for me this week. Um, but this doesn't happen with other disciples. And this wouldn't have happened. A, a rabbi would not have gone seeking you. As a church, we desire to seek the lost. We want to get in their face and know where they are and serve it, serve them and, and, and provide for them whatever we can provide, whether it's love, whether it's a hug, whether it's hope, whether it's a can of soup, whatever it is. We want to do those things. Okay, The rabbis... In this time, that's not what they did. They sat up here on this pedestal and you came and found them. You followed them. Jesus went and He found and called out Philip by name. He said, Philip, follow me. I asked the kids if, if their leader in the game, fall leader was missing. I hit them. What would they have to do? They said, they have to go look for him. And Jesus being Jesus and being God, he knew where Philip was, but he still had to go look for him in the humanistic way because he was carrying a human body. So he had to act as a human. He had to go find him. When, when, when I was single, I, I struggled a lot with, with depression and loneliness. And I went to counseling and I saw people for this stuff. And it was amazing that I was seeking this relationship, this earthly idea of relationship, and I was trying to find it all the time. And and someone said to me once, he goes, you know, he pulled out this passage of Scripture, this one verse, and I'm like, man, what is this? Like, why are you showing me Philip being called? He said, because Christ is seeking you for a, for you. And sometimes you need to go back and seek Him back. And it changed my outlook on life. This is God, this just a the guy I went to college with said it to me one day. I, I didn't have to pay for a counselor anymore. It was nice. <laughs> I have since then. i got kids. But um, this rabbi was calling me out. And it was amazing because when I began to seek back to God, all of a sudden, these other things started to shift and fall into place. All of a sudden, this cute little girl came back from college on a summer break and tricked her but I found her because I was seeking out God at that time and he was seeking out me it reminds me a lot of what the Holy Spirit does in us before we know Christ the Holy Spirit is seeking us out those who ever will follow Christ it's only because the Holy Spirit is seeking them out and drawing them to Christ. Scripture says before they know Jesus, the Holy Spirit prepares their hearts. Well, once we know Jesus, He still is calling out. The Holy Spirit is still seeking us and striving in us to follow more closely and to know more lovingly and more tenderly and to get closer and closer to this Jesus. He said, Philip, follow me. Verse 44 says that Philip was from um, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So they probably knew each other. And then 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses of the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Like I said that I was doing when I started to search for that person, when I finally started searching for God, I, I found my relationship with Jesus. Philip here says, Nathanael, we've been looking. We've been we've been seeking, and now we found him. And as earthly as as being a human, he obviously th- felt they had found Jesus, even though we see very clearly in Scripture Jesus went and found them, or at least Philip. But it's amazing that because of their searching, he was able to go to Nathaniel and say, "Hey, let's go. Stop searching. Come and see him. Let's go. Let's do this." I find a major importance here. This is the second time we see this. In verse 41, we see what Andrew does with Simon. And here we see this. In verse 45, Philip goes out and seeks out Nathaniel. First two evangelists. The first two people that say, I found him, i got to tell others. I found him, people need to hear it. I found him and I know people are looking. I've got to tell them what has happened to us in the church that we don't feel that way any longer. What has happened to us in the church that we are no longer emotionally moved to find others who need Jesus? Why on earth have we lost this desire to evangelize this world and show them the Lamb of God? I don't know, guys. I don't have the answer for that, but it has to come down to sin in our lives. There's no other reason for it. So where are we? Are we like Andrew and Philip? Are we willing to go find others? Verse 46, Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Another another statement, If you come, you will see. And something good had come out of Nazareth. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Pure motive. His question wasn't ugly or out of ignorance. Maybe a little like city rivalry a little bit there kind of idea they're real close to each other but he says he's innocent he's pure and he's desiring to know the truth nathaniel says to him how do you know me and jesus said before philip called you you were under the fig tree and i saw you what a proof what a proof of the supernatural that jesus just dropped on him right there nathaniel answered him rabbi you are the son of god you are the you are the king of israel and jesus answered him because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? I want you to see something here. There's two, there's two words. Um, because I said to you, and because I saw you under the fig I'm sorry, because I said to you, and then I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Those two you's are plural in the Greek. He's not just talking to Nathaniel here. He steps back and he's like, all right, there's five of them right now. I need you to all hear me. I need to make sure that you all know I'm addressing you. Are you following me because of this little little thing I've shown you? Because I'm going to show you a lot more. I'm going to show you better than this. But is your faith simply based on this little miracle, Nathaniel? Cephas, Philip, Andrew, John? Is it simply based on this? If so, I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to show you who I really am. And we see later in Scripture the insecurity of some of the disciples with the struggle when Jesus isn't doing miraculous. They struggle. I mean, let's be honest. If we right now could talk to Jesus, well, we can't talk to Him, but if what if we could talk to Him face-to-face and ask Him to do something miraculous? If I could say, Jesus, we need you to come in here and we're going to bring... Um, somebody we know that's sick. We need you to heal in front of us. We need to see that. And Jesus did it. I, most of us in here would probably, probably, our, our relationship with Jesus would be all new, wouldn't it? Woo, I just saw this. My worship's going up here. We might even raise our hands and stuff like this. We might even shout. We might even take off a pew walking, who knows. Right? But we're going to see something awesome. Well, the problem with that is later in, Jesus says the greatest that he performs is the transformation of a man's heart so once we have that we should always feel and see that miracle he says are you insecure are you follow me because of a miracle because I said something cool that's not going to get you much verse 51 he said to them Verily, ver-, or, truly truly I want a little, little King James just now on you that's how I memorize this passage <laughs> I'm reading it I still said it wrong <laughs> Truly, truly, I say to you, that plural again to the disciples, y'all is southern translation will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It says, Amen, Amen. Verily, verily, I am telling you the truth. Here it is. Don't miss it. We say, serious is a heart attack nowadays, right? That's what Jesus is saying right here. He says. Listen, heaven's going to open up, and I want you guys to understand. You know the law, you know the history of your people, you know Jacob. That's what he's calling him. He's saying, Jacob. Think of Exodus, I mean, I'm sorry, Genesis, um, chapter 28. I should have wrote that down. Um, chapter 28, I believe. J- Jacob is out, and he's wandering in the wilderness, and he lays down and puts his head upon a rock, and he has a vision. And in that vision, it's a ladder reaching to heaven or a stairway reaching to heaven. And angels are ascending and descending on this ladder. And it's a promise of God that says, Jacob, just as I promised Abraham, I'm going to stay with you and with your generation and with your people. And I'm going to dwell among you and with you, and I'm going to take care of this. And you are going to be my people. They knew this story. They believed this story. Jacob's well was built with this story. They're like, yes, this is Jacob. Okay, what are you saying exactly here, Jesus? He says you're going to see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. On the Son of Man. The disciples are going, okay, he's talking about Jacob. Whoa! Not to the Israelite people? Whoa, wait a minute. What is he saying? That's his first proclamation that he is God. He's saying they're descending onto me. They're here to do my business and you're going to see the glory that my Father reveals into this world because of this. What What a beautiful message he taught them. What a beautiful thing that he said to them, Heaven sent me, and here's my confirmation that I am the Messiah. I am appointed by God. He makes it very clear when he identifies with Jacob's dream that he says, now I, Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Israel, that you have called Rabbi, I am the new stairway to heaven. It's not through the law. He says, I'm going to fulfill that law. We're going to still uphold a lot of those laws. We're going to still live the right life according to those laws in so many ways. But I am the pathway to heaven. What a gorgeous concept. What a revision of the dream of Jacob. No longer striving to wonder if you're right. To try so hard to have no hope or very little hope in being perfect according to the law. Because the law states over and over again that if you break one aspect of the law, you've broken all of the law. How terrifying. He says, I want to revise this so that you know that me, Jesus, within myself, is the newness of this law. The newness of this blessing. And it's going to be poured out upon you. And you're going to see it. And you're going to know it. So rather than these angels descending to Jacob to help him and teach him, they're sending on to Jesus to prove that He is the Gospel. The disciples knew what that meant. Well, today, we have this idea that that we get to read this passage and what we have to understand, like I said, the spoiler alert, is the central theme within this passage. The coming of Jesus. He is here. He is here in His his fulfillment of all of God's promises to rescue and redeem the people. He is here. John wastes no time in telling us that Jesus is the Christ. He says, Behold the long-awaited Lamb. He's going to deal with sin once and for all. Behold this long-promised King of the Israelites is here for us. He is the Messiah. He is here forever for the people. He's announcing this. He says, Hey, wait a minute. Behold... When He says the Lamb of God, He's saying, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Behold, a new establishment on which we pace our faith and our trust and our hope and our joy and our fulfillment. Behold, the Spirit of God is dwelling here amongst us. He's not just for us. He's not watching over us. He's right beside us. He's saying, behold, He's never going to leave. That's good. That's what, behold, the Lamb of God. And these men said, yep. Yep. I'm going to chase after that. John the Baptist isn't twisting arms and persuading people. He's just telling them about the truth of what's coming. He wants them to know This is the man, this is the hope giver that they're looking for. We as disciples now to Jesus, as we claim, we should respond in the same ways that these five men responded. We should follow so closely behind Jesus that we're stepping on His heels. And He has to say, wait, what are you seeking? But the beauty for us is that He has revealed it already to us. He's revealed from front to back in this Bible who He is. His claims are distinct and clear and perfect for us. And yet we struggle because we think we need the miraculous when the miraculous is already within us. Today we have to make a decision because Jesus claimed to be God. These disciples knew right there in that verse 51 where he says you will see these angels ascending and descending onto the Son of God. He is saying to them, I am one with the Father. I am testifying to you today that I am God. John 14, 6 I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right. That's what he's testifying here. So they had to decide much like C.S. Lewis said, there's a decision that has to be made. First we have to decide whether he's truth or if he's not truth we need to give it serious consideration because if he's false there's there's some alternatives here one is that he's just a liar if Jesus knew he was not God and he said he was God he's a liar therefore he's no good at a moralistic type teaching because let's be honest by raising hands in the room who wants to listen to a liar if someone lies do you want? are they a liar forever? pretty much no matter how much we forgive him, there's not a lot worse than being lied to. So if he's not a liar, then he's a lunatic. He's deceived in his own mind. He's crazy. He's lost it. He's considering his own teachings as evidence of who he is. Like, he's the upright person. And we know people like that too, right? There's people that have done this in the world. We have a stupid joke that people say, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Right? Based on the death of a lot of people because they followed a man who claimed to be Christ or a, a, an avatar of Christ a piece of Christ So, which to me means that he was a lunatic that bought into his own teachings because he drank it too a liar a lunatic or he's Lord or he is Lord I know for me, there's no alternative. He is Christ, He is the Lord, He is the Son of God as He claimed He is. So today, just like the disciples, two of them heard their leader say, there's the Lamb of God, they ran and followed. One of them, Jesus sought out and called Him out. And two of them went and found others. they all five came and followed Jesus, closely. Not for intellectual exercise. Not for coolness. Not for a relative factor. Not to be noticed or be seen. Some of them, maybe their intentions weren't always perfectly pure, because we've already talked about Simon the Zealot in our Wednesday night Bible says Some of them was really looking for this earthly king, right? Somebody really wanted a warrior. So they missed the fact. That his war was against sin. And that he was calling himself Lord. And he told him, I am the one. John 20, 31 says this in closing. You must make a choice. And here's what he says. These things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And more important, that believing you might have life in his name.